Good morning, saints of our Lord, and welcome to Thy Strong Word. I'm your host, Brady Finnern, pastor of Messiah Lutheran Church in Sartell, Minnesota. Thank you for tuning us in this morning on Worldwide KFUO, Christ for you anytime, anywhere. Today is Friday, October the 8th, and we continue to put on our Christ goggles in Leviticus chapters 21 and 22. Now, we were talking about this before, is there's a little bit of a feel of downward, uh, like you're going down a mountain, because the mountain was the day of atonement. And now we're receiving a lot more rules and, and rituals, and how does this work, and how does that work? But today, one of the neat things about our text is that God sets apart his holy ones. And we, and we see it in the priest, but he just doesn't say that, okay, now you're holy, but he emphasizes the reality that he shares his holiness with them. It's almost like in Romans 5 when it talks about, and God's love is poured into our hearts. It's like God's holiness is poured into them. And that's something for us to remember, that God pours his holiness upon us. So today, as we see it, we not only see this, but we see Christ. For the gifts are ready, ready for you. Thank you to our friends at Lutheran Heritage Foundation for your support of Thy Strong Word. Visit lhfmissions.org for more information. lhfmissions.org. To help us to be strengthened by God's Word, we have with us regular guest Pastor Scott Adel of Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Collinsville, Illinois. Pastor Adel, welcome back to Thy Strong Word. Thanks for having me. It's good to be here. So, Pastor Adel, um, first of all, you uh, have the joy of this is your first time with us to do Leviticus. What do you think of that? <laughs> Indeed, it will be interesting. <laughs> it always is. So, tell us. It's been it's been a little while since we've been on. Uh, tell us what's happening for you, your family, and the work of the Saints of Good Shepherd. Oh well, you know we. Uh... Keep going. Uh, both church and school are going fine, and we're thankful for that. And I mean, we're kind of looking forward to. I think everyone's kind of looking forward to October being uh, kind of drives toward Reformation Day, and then mm. All Saints Day with November first and that kind of thing. So it brings us to, uh, brings it to mind. Uh, just again, you know, what happened 500 years ago? I mean, we, we celebrated, of course, 2017, but. There are still there was still stuff going on 500 years ago, and it's good to remember that. I mean, you talked earlier about the holiness of the Lord, and and the fact that His holiness is a gift that He gives us is right at the heart of the Reformation understanding. And so, that's always good to think about, always good to dwell on. You know, that's a good reminder. There is a tendency to. Like, oh yeah, Reformation Day is coming up. And this year it is actually on a Sunday, which is quite exciting in my mind that we'll be able to celebrate it that day. And yeah. um, you're right, after, it wasn't like 2000 or 19, or excuse me, I'm mixing up my years, is fifteen seventeen happened and everything just kind of opened up and everyone's like, hey, the gospel's great, I'm going to follow this. No, there was a lot of interesting things that happened. 1518, 1519, 1520, obviously at the 1530 and beyond that it, it was something that, just like all of us, is that, yeah, we have the free gospel, but guess what? we got to live in the real world. And so there, that's a great reminder for us to think about not only the 500th, but every year after that they dealt with sin just like us. Any, any last thoughts before we start digging in, Pastor? Uh, nothing to add, no. <laughs> well, good. Let's get into Leviticus, Pastor. As we search the scriptures this morning, can you begin us in prayer? Yeah. Let us pray. 
Heavenly Father, thank you for bringing us here to hear your word. And as we do so, give us eyes to see and ears to hear, especially as we learn about your holiness uh, given in the Old Testament through priests and the high priest. And as that points forward to our perfect high priest, your son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. In his name we pray. Amen. Amen. Reminder to your listeners, if you have any questions about Leviticus, keep sending the emails, kfuo at kfuo.org, kfuo at kfuo.org. One thing that I've noticed uh, for a number of you have written me emails and we've responded back to you is that reality that there's some, a lot of things in here we don't fully understand, which is why when we have the Christ goggles, or the Christ filter, it's a little bit easier. And also when I've talked to other pastors is that they're learning a lot of this stuff because we don't typically go through Leviticus um, in our normal Sunday morning Bible class. It's not in the lectionary, uh, the the readings for Sunday morning that we will typically follow. And so that kind of leads me to this, Pastor, as we you are we're, we're through majority of Leviticus, not all of it. And um, that if someone were to come to you, Pastor, I'm putting you on the spot here and see how see what you think. If someone came to you and said, hey, Pastor, I heard you were doing Leviticus in uh, KFUO the other day. I didn't really listen to it, but I'm kind of confused. What is Leviticus? If you were to give like, you know, you're shaking hands when people are leaving church. Pastor, what is Leviticus anyways? What would be your short answer on the fly? So that's what I'm kind of doing it to see what you would do in real life. So any any thoughts on that? What is Leviticus about? Yeah, it's, it's a, I think, at heart describing the worship of the Old Testament people of God. And we recognize, I mean, you, you already went through chapters where it's talked about in in repetitive detail, uh, different kinds of sacrifices, different kinds of offerings. And I think that w- one of the things that, as, as you were saying earlier, kind of looking through the Old Testament or reading through the Old Testament, and it, recognizing that it points forward to Christ. There's obviously a way that Leviticus does this over and over again in ways that many of the other Old Testament books don't. I mean, they hint at it, and they they go around it. But Leviticus, for all its repetition, and we would even maybe say boredom, points forward to Jesus Christ. It's, uh, in in some ways, maybe like the, the different shepherd things in the New Testament and by the time you, you piece together all the things that Jesus all the things that Jesus talks about when he talks about being the good shepherd or being the gate of the sheep or being the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, you see when you read through all of those, he ends up playing all of the important parts. He's the shepherd, he's the gate, he's the lamb. When you read through Leviticus and maybe especially if you pair it with, with Exodus you find out that Jesus plays all the important parts of these books as well. If you're talking about the tabernacle or the temple, Jesus ends up being the temple. If Mm. you're talking about the sacrificial system and the offering, Jesus ends up being the perfect sacrifice. Today we're going to talk about the priesthood and the high priest. Jesus ends up being the perfect high priest. And so all of these uh, chapters that you've been going through in Leviticus reflect in some fashion what it means for him to be that sacrifice or that high priest. And especially today as we talk about holiness and 
giving God's holiness to others and making sure that the bride is without spot or blemish. I mean, all of that starts to jive with things that we find happening or, or talked about with uh, Jesus Christ in the New Testament. That's a great way to um, bring us into these two chapters is because if you don't have Christ, when you read this, it's just a bunch of rules. And, and, that, and that can be very taxing because we need rules, clearly, but it can be quite taxing at the same time. So any, any other thoughts as we look at chapters 21 and 22? Well, as you said, it, it can be taxing. I, maybe, hey, maybe that's one reason to be thankful that you're you're born in the age after the New Testament. <laughs> that's true. But it it does repeatedly point out the holiness of God and our uncleanness through various things, and yet how God brings holiness to us. Well, let's dig into this. We are, uh, like you said, Leviticus chapters 21 and 22. Uh, reminder to our listeners, we'll be reading from the English Standard Version. We have quite a few verses to go through today, so we're going to take bigger portions at a time. Um, but I'll start with verses 1 through 9 to begin and get some of our thoughts as we dig into the Holy Scriptures and put on our Christ goggles. Leviticus 21. And the Lord said to Moses, Speak to the priests, the sons of Aaron, and say to them, No one shall make himself unclean for the dead among his people, except for his closest relatives, his mother, his father, his son, his daughter, his brothers, his brother, or his virgin sister, who is near to him because he had no husband. For her he may, he may make himself unclean. He shall not make himself unclean as a husband among his people, and so profane himself. They shall not make bowed patches on their heads, nor shave off the edges of their beards, nor make any cuts on their body. They shall be holy to their God and not profane the name of their God. For they offer the Lord's food offerings, the bread of their God. Therefore, they shall be holy. They shall not marry a prostitute or a woman who has been defiled. Neither shall they marry a woman divorced from her husband, or the priest is, for the priest is holy to his God. You shall sanctify him, for he offers the bread of your God. He shall be holy to you, for I, the Lord, who sanctify you, am holy. And the daughter of any priest, if she profanes herself by whoring, profanes her father, she shall be burned with fire. Now, Pastor, there's a lot, there's a lot going on there in these first nine verses. And he basically says, the beginning, the Lord spoke to Moses, and speak to the priests. So he's specifically speaking to the priest. And what is he saying so far? Well, this is one thing. I mean, if, if we keep reading, it talks even more exclusively about the high priest. And you notice that, I mean, there are things that just ordinary people have to do and have to take care of. And burying someone who's close to you is just one of those jobs, uh, just as taking a wife. I mean, this, these are just things that, that get at the most personal parts of our lives. And yet here the rules for being a priest, and especially the high priest, get amplified in a way that they are not able to take part in those things the same way as ordinary people. 
And I think one of the points is, because it repeats it a couple times, because they offer the offering to the Lord, uh, they offer the bread of your God, that being a priest or a high priest, this is just something where the calling, where the job is even more important, declared by God, even more important than some of those parts of life that we would normally consider most personal and, and, and even most important. And God says, no, for these people, their job comes first. And, and specifically their relationship to the Lord, how they offer offerings to him and how they bring those parts of those offerings to the people. This is something that, that can't be stopped. It, it must go on. And it, it marks out that relationship, that relationship to God, and specifically the tasks that the priest does for God's people as something that can't be stopped. It, it's that important. It needs to go on. And you get a little sense of this in the New Testament as well. And, and obviously this, this is just counter-cultural, counter what everyone else would normally do and even maybe what they would think is right. Hmm. When, when you get to the New Testament, you have something similar to this when they tell Jesus that his mother and brothers are looking for him. And he says, well, who are my mother and brothers? And, and goes into, he who hears the word of God and does it, these are my mother and my brothers. And everyone hearing that would have to say, well, hold on a second. You've just declared listening to your word and gathering around you is more important than even blood relations or familial relations, which everyone then would have found very, not just odd, but probably even offensive in some ways. But Jesus just goes ahead and said, well, so what? <laughs> this, this is the truth. This is what is more important. Right? There's one thing needful. And I think you're getting a glimpse of that with this talk about the priest and the high priest, about their duty is more important even than the normal relations and activities that we would consider very important in life. And so there's a number of things in here that they're, they're, they're obviously, um, they're, they're good. Like, for example, they shall not marry a prostitute or a woman who's been defiled. I mean, this is pretty pretty standard things. And overall, like, okay, all right, don't, don't shave, you know, don't make your bald patches on your head. Okay, we don't quite understand that one. There's some cleanliness with this. In verse 9, in the daughter of any priest, if she profanes herself by whoring, profanes her father, and she shall be burned with fire. I, I can guarantee you're studying this Good Shepherd Lutheran Church, and it says that, and you're going to have a few mothers and others going, whoa, 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 wait a second here. How come she has all the, you know, she's the one who needs to be burned by fire. What's happening? What would be your answer? Because I can guarantee that would come up. You probably experienced it before. So what are your thoughts? Hey, man, the, the Old Testament is hardcore. <laughs> and, uh, and, and it's hardcore in this way. It, it doesn't make the excuses for sin that we like to. Ah, we right. like to make excuses for sin because we don't hate sin as much as we should. Mm -hmm. I mean, this is not the only time it talks about 
parents uh, bringing up their children before court, even to put them to death. Right? It talks about that with a disobedient son. It talks about that in other places. And we, we, we would say, well, no, 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 no. Those relationships are more important. And the Old Testament says, really? Are they? Mm. And we like to make excuses for that stuff because we don't hate sin as much as we should. We're, we're perfectly fine with it, as you call it, uncleanness, or sometimes it's translated, uh, she profanes her father, she defiles. We're perfectly fine smoothing that kind of stuff over. But uh, through and throughout the scriptures, God is not fine with sin in the way that we are fine with sin. And maybe when it talks a little bit about, you talk about shaving the edges of their beards or cutting their flesh or uh, becoming a harlot. As far as I can tell, these are probably related in some way to idolatrous worship styles, idolatry. I mean, you, you see when the priests of Baal, for instance, go around the altar praying for Baal, when they're really serious, they start cutting themselves. And it often involves some kind of ritual prostitution. And God abhors that stuff. He, I mean, he condemns the nations of Israel and Judah for doing that stuff. And this is just on a smaller scale, right? If this happens, you should not put up with it. That is unclean. That defiles who you are, and if you bring it into my presence, if you bring it into my sanctuary, it will in some fashion defile the sanctuary. That should not happen. You should not let that happen. It should be punished. And it's a capital offense. And this is interesting because I think it's fair to say that God has no room for sin among him or around him. Something along those lines. And I'm trying to think of a, a stronger statement to make with it. And like you said, the Old Testament is hardcore. And it's, and how you say it, God is hardcore still to this day. I mean, this is not like God changed his mind and go, yeah, that sin thing, not a big deal anymore. Is that we see exactly. it, put it on, it's on Christ. I mean, that's why we don't see it in the same way. Why maybe we dismiss it is because we act as if, God just kind of wiped it away like we will maybe do with our family members or as like a teacher or something and say, you know what, that wasn't that big of a deal. Let's just move on. Where no, this needs to be forgiven. This needs blood. This needs um, many different animals and, and offerings in order to get rid of this. It needs a whole day just to make sure that all the sins are taken care of in the Day of Atonement. And then it needs God himself to die one of the worst deaths we can ever imagine in order for this sin to be taken care of. So let's take sin more serious. So that, I'm trying to, I'm just trying to think of how exactly to put a tagline into this, but I don't think I can because... This, these are long chapters to make a tagline out of, but any any thoughts on that? I'm just kind of rehashing what you said, but anything to add? No, I mean, like, like you said, it's, it's not that when you get to the New Testament, oh, sinning's perfectly fine. No, <laughs> yeah, they crucify true. the Son of God for it. <laughs> that's how serious it is. Yeah, yeah. Wow. So let's keep moving forward so we can finish chapter, tw- uh, chapter 21, because it continues on. And once again, to you, our listeners, is to filter this with the understanding of that Christ died for this. 
okay, that we live as ones redeemed, atoned for. Day of Atonement happened with the great high priest, which is Jesus. But also it pulls us back to see our own sin and to give thanks for all that he's done for us. So verses 10 will go through 24. The priest who was chief among his brothers, on whose head the anointing oil is poured, and who has consecrated to wear garments, shall not let the hair of his head hang loose nor tear his clothes. He shall not go into any dead bodies nor make himself unclean, even for his father or for his mother. He shall not go out of the sanctuary, lest he profane the sanctuary of his God. For, he con- for the consecration of the anointing oil of God is on him. I am the Lord. He had, and he shall take a wife in her virginity, a widow or divorced woman, or a woman who has been defiled, or a prostitute, those he shall not marry. But he shall take as his wife a virgin of his own people, that he may not profane his offspring among his people, for I am the Lord who sanctifies him. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to Aaron, saying, None of your offspring throughout their generations, who has blemished may approach to offer the bread of his God. For no one who has a blemish shall draw near, a man blind or lame or one who has a mutilated face or a limb too long, or a man who is injured foot or an injured hand, or a hunchback or a dwarf, or a man with a defect in his sight or an itching disease or scabs or crushed testicles. No man of the offspring of Aaron, the priest, who has a blemish, shall come near to offer the Lord's food offerings. Since he has a blemish, he shall not come near to offer the bread of his God. He may eat of the bread of his God, both of the most holy and the the holy things. But he shall not go through the veil or approach the altar, because he has a blemish, that he may not profane my sanctuaries, for I am the Lord who sanctifies them. So Moses spoke to Aaron and to his sons, into all the people of Israel. So here once again, Pastor, it talks about holiness, some pretty extreme laws of who the priest could marry and could not, and says a few other words. What are your thoughts? Well, one of the things that it is getting out here, like we say, this obviously points forward to Christ. Now, Christ is a priest, even a high priest. We find that he's not in the line of Levi or Aaron. His high priesthood comes through a different line. But this priesthood does point forward to him. And one of the things that is clear in the New Testament is that Christ has a bride, the church. And he washes her so that she would be without spot, or wrinkle, or any such blemish. She needs to be perfect. He is going to make her perfect. In the Old Testament, you have you have it talked about a little bit differently in, in that when it's talking about the high priest marrying, it does draw up some specific rules so that she will be, I, I, I don't know how you want to say it, but as perfect without spot or stain or any uncleanness or defilement in her, he is to pick someone who is not defiled in that way. And so it mirrors and points forward to what Christ is going to do for his bride. When I mean, when it, when it talks about it in Ephesians 5, it talks about him laying down his life and washing her so that she would be holy. One of the things that, that occurs over and over again in 
Leviticus is this idea of holiness, and here it's talking about the wife. The, the, the wife of the high priest is to be sanctified, just as the high priest is sanctified, consecrated, set aside for a special purpose. And so it says, none of these other kinds of uncleanness can be can come into the picture when we're talking about the high priest. He uses a word in verse 15, that he may not profane his offspring among his people, for I am the Lord who sanctifies him. Now, that might be confusing for some, but when it says sanctifies, what does that mean, Pastor? It's a fancy word for he makes holy. Mm-hmm. Right? So sanctus is a, is a Latin word for holy. And so God makes us holy. It, it, it's, I think it's in, in Leviticus elsewhere, but he, he, you shall be holy, for I, the Lord, your God, am holy. What he wants for us is to be holy. And it has a couple different meanings. I think quite often we think of uh, meaning holy, meaning perfect, without sin, all this stuff. That's true. But firstly, it means set aside specifically for God's use. And the high priest is certainly set aside for specific use by God. When it talks about the nation of Israel being a holy nation, a a sanctified people, it it means this in in the same way. And we would even say, us as Christians, we have been sanctified. We have been set aside for God's use. And, And this is why we flee sexual immorality. This, this is why we don't get involved, even in idle or unclean talk, because we are holy people. We serve a holy God. And that's why when you use the word saint, you know, the language can be that understanding of holy ones. And that means knowing that's our identity, and that's what he's emphasizing here. You are a priest, and this is where, therefore, how you should live Live your life. Mm-hmm. I sanctify you. I make you holy. You are doing holy things, so therefore, be holy. And and you can disagree with the rules, just like you and I can disagree with the, quote, rules that the Lord gives to us, either as pastors or as just Christians. But that's mm-hmm. what it means to be holy and how we speak, you know, seasoned with salt kind of language and Ten Commandments. But, you know, we could talk all day on this, but right now we need to take our break. And I want to touch on that a little bit before we dig into chapter 22 on the other side of this break. We are studying Leviticus 21 and 22 with Pastor Scott Adel, and we'll be right back. Take a look around you. Look closely. Immigrants in the United States and their U.S.-born children now number about 81 million people, or 26% of the population. So chances are there's someone right in your community who doesn't speak English as a first language and who doesn't know Jesus. The Lutheran Heritage Foundation can help by providing you with free Lutheran books translated into over 90 languages. See their complete list of catechisms and Bible storybooks at lhfmissions.org. Welcome back. We are studying Leviticus chapters 21 and 22 with Pastor Scott Adel of Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Collinsville, Illinois. Now, Pastor, 
as we look at this, I think it's a good, it's been a good reminder for me, especially these two chapters, of how we need to sit back and maybe ask the question, how can I live a more holy life? Any any thoughts on that, why that's good for the Christian to do? Well, you, you, you said earlier, like, uh, w- w- <laughs> there, there's some way in which you said, we can disagree with the rules, either for priests or even the, the, the rules that come up for pastors in the New Testament, the qualifications, if you want to call them that. I mean, yeah, there's a way in which you can, but ultimately God's the one who makes those rules and those qualifications. So there's right. also a way in which you can't argue with them. Uh, and, and yeah, the, the scriptures through and through make it clear that God is in charge. We are his people. He, he He's bought us by the blood of Christ. We belong to him. We've been redeemed. And he calls us to live holy lives. And what that looks like is talked about in the commandments and, and the different sermons of Jesus, Sermon on the Mount, Sermon on the Plain that Jesus gives. And you're right in that sometimes we bristle at those, but there's just some sense of, well, too bad. This is what you are called to be. These, these are commands. They are, this is how God's people are supposed to act. And he talks about, I mean, obviously from the, from the very beginning of the Bible, he talks about not doing this stuff leads to death, leads to violence and destruction. And we're like, well, can't really be that bad. <laughs> no, it is that bad. We, we've seen the violence and the death and the destruction that it brings about. And so we, we are called to live holy lives. And, uh, I mean, the fact that Jesus speaks this way, and, and the, the crowds that hear him point it out, he speaks as one who has authority, meaning he speaks as if he's in charge of the place. And as you go along, I mean, we're in the three-year series, so we've been going along through the Gospel of Mark. And as Jesus repeatedly makes those kind of statements, it rubs people, enough people, the wrong way enough that they start wanting to get him in trouble. And when enough of these people want to get him in trouble, eventually they just want to get rid of him. And it leads to his destruction. It leads to his crucifixion. But this is because of the way he talks. This is because he makes demands and commands like this. that You need to do what I say. You need to act how I tell you to act because you're mine. And I am in charge of the place. And he continually says, and they needed this reminder too, even though they're, they're literally in God's presence like all the time. They've seen the glory of the Lord here in Leviticus. Um, you have Moses who literally is with him, mm-hmm. and he continually, even to Moses, says, I am the Lord, I am Yahweh, just as a reminder for them. So how would we not think that we don't need a reminder <laughs> of, the, of the way that the Lord wants us to live which clearly, how can it not throw us back into uh, needing to fix our eyes on the cross? And Jesus, where yep. we see him fulfill this perfectly, because we can oh, who can do that? Well, Jesus could, and guess what? He did it all for us. And that's what, once again, you have to see Christ in this. So we come to chapter 22, and it really is just a continuation of these, uh, these rules, the holiness orders, I guess I would call it. And so 
We'll get right into that. I'll just go, I'm going to go all the way through verse 16. So chapter 22, 1 through 16. And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Speak to Aaron and his sons so that they abstain from the holy things of the people of Israel, which they dedicate to me so that do not profane my holy name. I am the Lord Yahweh. Say to them, if any one of all your offspring throughout your generations approaches the holy things that the people of Israel dedicate to the Lord, while he has an uncleanness, that person shall be cut off from my presence. I am the Lord. None of the offspring of Aaron, who has a leprous disease or a discharge, may eat of the holy things until he is clean. Whoever touches anything that is unclean through contact with the dead or a man who has an emission of semen, and whoever touches a swarming thing by which he made unclean, or a person from whom he may take uncleanness, whatever his uncleanness may be, the person who touches such a thing shall be unclean until the evening, and shall not eat of the holy things unless he has bathed his body in water. When the sun goes down, he shall be clean, and afterward he may eat of the holy things, because they are his food." He shall not eat what dies of itself or is torn by beasts, so that he may make himself unclean by it. I am the Lord. They shall therefore keep my charge, lest they bear sin for it and die thereby when they profane it. I am the Lord who sanctifies them. A lay person shall not eat of the holy thing. No foreign guest of the priest or hired servant shall eat of a holy thing. But if a priest buys a slave as his property for money... The slave may eat of it, and anyone born in his house may eat of his food. If a priest's daughter marries a layman, she shall not eat of the contribution of the holy things. But if a priest's daughter is widowed or divorced and has no child and returns to her father's house, as in her youth she may eat of her father's food, yet no lay person shall eat of it. And if anyone eats of a holy thing unintentionally, she shall add the fifth of its value to it and give the holy thing to the priest. They shall, not, they shall not profane the holy things of the people of Israel, which they contribute to the Lord, and so cause them to bear iniquity and guilt by eating their holy things. For I am the Lord Yahweh who sanctifies them. All right, so uh, there's one of the footnotes we have in our Lutheran Study Bible that, that just, he lays it out this way, God sets his priests apart and what's interesting to me, Pastor, and I want to hear your thoughts on these verses specifically, is he not only sets them apart like you're important, but then he lays down the law of how they are to live compared to other people, even affecting his children when they get married or not married or whatever it might be, and make sure they don't eat the wrong thing and do the wrong thing or touch the wrong thing. This was a pretty high calling for an individual to be called a priest, so your thoughts on, on the set-apart set side of what we read here. Yeah, well, I, I, I said a little bit about it earlier in that he sets this job apart as important enough that even some of the things that the, the layman or, or the others can get away with or can do, priests can't. Mm-hmm. They, the, just the, the, the job, that calling must go on in a way that can't get tied up with things, not not even that they're sinful, but with, with things that other people get tied up with. He just says, not so with the priesthood. That, that Their job is more important 
than some of those other responsibilities that other people have. Now, one thing that's interesting, too, is to see the, uh, I guess you call it the dab of grace. Uh, I remember one professor during seminary saying, how do you see the dab of grace in this? Because we can look at this much like how maybe you and I saw our parents' rules or how our kids see our rules as just trying to control. You're just trying to control people. But also, this began in chapter 10, where Nadab and Abihu went to the wrong place, did the wrong thing, and they were destroyed because they were doing the wrong thing. And uh, they, they brought their sinfulness and their lack of holiness and the presence of God, and they you know, paid the price. But here, God shows very much so, do this, do this, do this, and these priests not only um, can handle the holy things, but they will not die. And they will give this holiness to his people. So there's a, there's a dab of grace in here that God is giving this so that the priests will be able to do what they're called to do. Any thoughts? Well, you're, you're right. That is, that is great. I mean, what, what the priests are after is announcing atonement, right? Announcing forgiveness, announcing reconciliation, announcing peace. That's what their job does. That's the goal. Kind of like when, when we talk about confession and absolution, the point isn't only to confess your sin. That's a necessary part and an important part, but it's driving towards the hearing of absolution. So also the priesthood has all these different rules set aside, but their job is to announce atonement, forgiveness, reconciliation, peace. That's why God calls their job this important. This is why it must go on, because that's what God wants for his people. And it really is... um... Everything is being driven to holiness. And I think about this yep. for the church, um, that our goal, and I don't think I've ever really laid it out this way, our goal is that people receive the holiness of God. And it, you know, obviously we pointed to this forgiveness, life, and salvation that they receive in the Word and the sacraments. And I'm wondering how to incorporate that into church is... Uh, uh, I don't know. I, now, now I'm thinking out loud. I, I'll fully admit this, is that our goal, his goal, was to make sure that people received his holiness. And for us in the church today, we can use that same language when we call people saints, is that you are holy in the sight of Christ. Now I'm trying to think of how we do that in the church. So, Pastor, can you kind of um, break that down for us? The church is about bringing God's holiness to people. How would you describe that to somebody? I mean, this is what goes on in the Sunday morning service in multiple ways. I mean, we begin the service. The preparation for the service is confession and absolution. We would confess that we are sinners, and yet immediately after that, hear the absolution, the forgiveness of God. God, nevertheless, calling us his people, forgiving us on account of what Christ has done, and that that repairs the relationship. And as you run... Through the rest of the service, I mean, you see that, again, you, you have the reading of the Word of God, especially the Gospel, highlighting what Jesus has done for us. You have the sermon, which explains this kind uh, of forgiveness and salvation that we have in Christ. You next go to the prayers where we ask God for the things that we need, and we know that He hears and answers our prayers. From that, you go to the sacraments, which 
are exactly what, what he's when he's talking about here in Leviticus, the, the priest giving bread and giving part of the offering back to the people of God. This, this is part of the sacrifices that they receive to eat. This also is what's going on in the Lord's Supper, is the sacrifice of Christ. We receive his body and blood poured out for us for the forgiveness of our sins. And then we leave the service with you know, the, the, the benediction, the, the blessing of God, the good words that God speaks over us. Because, as he says over and over again, because I am your Lord, because I am the Lord your God, this is what makes it a great and beautiful thing. Because he still proclaims, even though we have sinned, he still proclaims that he is our Lord. He still calls us to him. He still blesses us over and over again. So anything else we have here, Pastor? Once again, he says, I'm the Lord who sanctifies them. And that's a reminder for us, too, as you said, that when you do participate in the holy things, as you brought up in the divine service and the word and the sacraments, mm-hmm. that, that it's always good for us to be reminded that the Lord is the one who brings his holiness as opposed to some kind of works <laughs> that we do. So in, anything else um, that you have, really, from 21 to verse 16 of chapter 22? Yeah, I, I wanted to point out that clearly God is the one who makes who who grants access to him and this is kind of one of the things that that the modern world and not just the modern world this is one of the things that sinful people find uh, objectionable because we just assume that we can approach him any old way we want mm. and it's just going to be fine and through and throughout both Old and New Testaments, God says, that's not how it works. <laughs> you're not in charge. You don't get to dictate to me how you're going to worship me or how you're going to approach me or how you're going to be holy. That's not how it works. I am the one who grants access. And so in the New Testament, you have Jesus saying things like, no one comes to the Father except through me. No one comes to me unless the Father draws him. Unless you become like a child, unless you're born again, you can't even see the kingdom of God. And people will say, well, hold on there. That's rather strict. And Jesus says, yes, narrow is the path. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And we think, well, that's rude. That's (laughs) bad. But again, God is the one who who calls us. We don't have access. We're not holy. We're, We're not good enough. We don't know the way. We need him to call us and show us the way, which he graciously does, right? He's merciful and graciously does this. But at the same time, we kind of get our, our backs up and say, no, no, who, who are you to dictate to me? And he says, well, remember, I'm the Lord your God. That's who I am. And that's where, yeah, it really comes down to this. we got to let God be God. And let him dictate, let him drive the car, if you will. Let him, let him make the rules. And this is not, you know, lost by losing the cross in the midst of this. But even when we're able to see everything through that lens of Jesus has made us holy, that he has shared this holiness with us, that we are redeemed fully, it's always still good for us to still understand that he still makes the rules. And he's God and we are not. And how easily that can happen to us where we kind of think we are now, okay, now we take the driver's seat. Well, no, 
uh, or we now make the rules because we live in freedom. Well, no, the rules still apply. So, Pastor, how do you how would you encourage somebody who uh, and Paul addresses this in, in his epistles as well? Is like, okay, well, I um, Jesus died for everything, and then therefore I'm living in freedom, and uh, you know, no big deal. How would you address someone with that? As especially as you read these passages. Yeah, I mean, time and time again, it, Paul himself says it like at least two or three times in Romans that no, this doesn't mean you can do whatever you want. That's not what this means. He says, you were called away from the stuff that defiled you, that made you unclean, that that brings about death and condemnation. That's the stuff you were called away from. So don't go back to it. Don't, like James says, don't, like a dog, return to its vomit. That's not what you want to do. You, you are called to better. Uh, you, are, you are called to holiness. You are called to... Uh, you, you, you have a calling, so you live a life worthy of that calling to which you've been called. And that's a good reminder for us as we read the rest of this chapter, chapter 22, because now it comes to acceptable offerings. So now I feel like we go back to the first six chapters where we talk more about the offerings, more about the details of this. Once again, God has a desire. The desire is for his people to be holy. And it might seem tedious, but once again, I know we have said this over and over, and Pastor, you've mentioned it, you've, you've implied it at least today. This is all a shadow, a shadow of what is still yet to come. For me, the more I read about chapters, uh, about offerings, the more grateful I am that we have Jesus. So let's, let's keep that in mind, 17 till the end. And the Lord Yahweh spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to Aaron and his sons and all the people of Israel and say to them, when any of the house of Israel or of the sojourners in Israel presents a burnt offering as his offering, for any of their vows or free will offerings that they offer to the Lord, if it is to be accepted for you, it shall be male without blemish, of the bulls or the sheep or the goats. You shall not offer anything that has a blemish, for it will not be acceptable for you. And when anyone offers a sacrifice of peace offerings to the Lord, to fulfill a vow or as a freewill offering from the herd or from the flock to be accepted, it must be perfect. There should be no blemish in it. Animals blind or disabled or mutilated or having a discharge or an itch or scabs, you shall not offer to the Lord or give them to the Lord as a food offering on the altar. You may present a bull or a lamb that has a part too long or too short for a freewill offering but for a vow offering, it cannot be accepted. Any animal that has its testicles bruised or crushed or torn or cut off shall not offer to the Lord. You shall not do, do, do it within your land. Neither shall you offer it as the bread of your God and any such animals gotten from a foreigner. Since there is a blemish in them, because of their mutilation, they shall not be accepted for you. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, when an ox or a sheep or a goat is born, it shall remain seven days with its mother, and from the eighth day on it shall be acceptable as a food offering to the Lord. But you shall not kill an ox or a sheep and her young in one day. And when you sacrifice a sacrifice of thanksgiving to the Lord, you shall sacrifice it so that you may, it shall, you may be accepted. It shall be eaten on the same day. You shall not leave none of it until morning. I am the Lord." You shall keep my commandments and do them. I am the Lord. 
and you shall not profane my holy name, that I may be sanctified among the people of Israel. I am the Lord who sanctifies you, who brought you out of the land of Egypt to be your God. I am the Lord Yahweh. So we have a lot of rules of, of animal offerings. What could be sacrificed? This is a, a common theme without blemish. There's some exceptions to this depending on the person, but most of the time the offerings are to be without blemish. They are to do what they're called to do. And then he reminds us of who he is. How would you pull all these this together in the end of chapter 22? Well, we saw several of these types of stipulations in regard to the priest and the high priest. But there is a way in it, which, as you said, they're a shadow, or they point forward to Christ. And clearly, what Christ is, is perfect, without blemish. I think it's John or one of the Gospels will comment that, uh, that he's a perfect sacrifice. None of his bones were broken. Right, that, that he is the perfect sacrifice, and as shadows or types that point forward to this, so are the offerings supposed to be like him. So is the high priest supposed to be like him. They more clearly reflect him and what he does or what he is as that sacrifice and high priest, if they are without these defects. Another thing that it gets at maybe too is you see, and I can't remember, I should have looked it up, which there's another Old Testament book where it's on the the tail end of Judah being a country and one of the prophets asks why these bad things are happening. And God says, well, because you offer me blind lambs and three-legged goats and all this kind of stuff. He's like, your king wouldn't accept that. Why, why are you offering it up to me? And one of the things that Old Testament Israel and Judah, one of the ways that people got this system wrong is that they, they just thought that by going through the motions, whatever, we'll make this payment and we'll be fine before the Lord. And God says, no, that's not why I desire offering. It's not a payment to me like I need a bull or I'm short on cash or I'm hungry. That's not the way you can view this. Uh, the, the real offering there is a, is a contrite heart and spirit because these things point forward to Christ. And when, when people shortchange that or misuse that or abuse this understanding or just get it plain old wrong, he corrects them. He says, no, 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 no. Because this points forward to my son and his perfect work and sacrifice, that's why this should look this way. And so as you look at the end, like you said, there, there's, a, there's a faith component to this. I'm reminded of Amos when he says, even though you offer me burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them is what he basically tells them because they weren't doing it in faith. And, and, and probably there's a point of this in their lack of faith, that they're giving the ones that have already been given the animals that have been castrated already. They're already given the ones that aren't perfect. And he says without blemish, but they just like, ah, is God really that serious? Which, let's be honest, we have that same problem today. Well, I don't know if God actually meant that, which obviously brings us right back to Satan and, and Adam and Eve. Did God really say? 
So God's definitely testing the people, telling them, are you actually going to trust me and follow me? Or you can go your own way because you can't say, I didn't know, because it's pretty explicit right here in these words. And then he says yeah. at the end of verse 30, and then at the end of the chapter, I am the Lord. Now, Pastor, what? why does he keep doing that? We talked about it a little bit before, but what would you say? Why does he keep doing that? Because he, he, he wants others to know. He says, I will be hallowed among the children of Israel. And also Israel is to be hallowed among all the nations, that all the nations will come to know him through the Israelites because they have the oracles of God and ultimately because Jesus Christ, salvation comes from the Jews. But one of the things that they, when, when they act this way and that they offer up blind lambs or three-legged goats or whatever it is, they're ultimately saying, you know, God really doesn't. God really doesn't look at this. He doesn't actually care. I mean, that—that's what offering up things like that says about God. And God repeatedly says, "No, no, no, no. I do see you. I do care what you do." Over and over again in the Psalms, one of the things that uh, when when David's talking about those who say there is no God uh, and, and the evil people, they, they say things like. The Lord does not look at us. The Lord does not see what we're doing. Therefore, we can make these evil plans and, and, and uh, do these kind of things. And, and that's what making offerings of these maimed and lame animals is, is also saying. God doesn't actually look. He doesn't actually care what happens on earth. And the scriptures say repeatedly, Yes, he does. Yeah. And in fact, he will come down to earth. He will send his son to earth because he cares so much. His son will become a man. He never gives that up. That's how much he cares. And so how people worship says something about what they believe is true about God. And you know, that's one thing I think about the book of Leviticus is if you look at the whole book, God has laid out a plan for his people so that they would receive his holiness and they would live, live holy lives. And we might see a bunch of rules as unloving, but how could we not, when we see in the context of Christ, especially what he was willing to do, that he fulfilled all of this, that when he gives all these things, it does it, he does it because of love that he loves his people, he cares about his people, and so he lays all this out, one, not only so they don't do Nadab and Abihu did, but also that they would stay with him and live holy lives in glory to him and in love towards one another. So, Pastor, with that in light, we have about a minute left. How would you summarize these two chapters and what it means for us today? Well, these chapters, as we've been saying, point forward to Christ. They point forward to his work as priest, they point forward to his work as sacrifice. They point forward to how we have access to God. And, I mean, through and through, kind of one of the themes is holiness or perfection or being set aside to be uh, uh, the people of God because he has declared that he is our Lord and we are his people. So I think that's what these chapters are getting at. 
Pastor Scott Adel of Good Shepherd Lutheran Church and School in Collinsville, Illinois, given us God's strong word in Leviticus chapters 21 and 22. Pastor Adel, thank you again for the gifts. Absolutely. Saints of our Lord, the Lord is holy and we should be holy as well. He shares his holiness with us on account of Christ and his righteousness, that we are with him, forgiven, redeemed, sanctified, and washed clean by the blood of the Lamb. He calls us to this, and we then reflect this holiness in our lives, in love towards him and love towards one another. And that's our reminder when we see all these rules. These rules are given to us out of love. Love for you and love for the whole world, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. This is our hope, and this is our foundation. I'm your host, Brady Finner, and pastor of Messiah Lutheran Church in Sartell, Minnesota. Thank you for joining us, and the Lord keep you safe in the palm of his hands. <music>